What's up, y'all? Y'all all right? All right, now, I got a question real quick. How many of y'all have downloaded the new app, Pokemon Go? Okay, I wanna hear it for Team Valor. Okay, I got a few, a few, a few. Okay, Team Mystic? A little bit better, a little bit better. What about Team Instinct? There's like five of us, we're, we're holding in there strong. So, I have one question, or one request really to make, is that I know there's a Pokemon stop, it's like behind the stage, but while we're in here, don't go searching for anything. To keep the phone away, keep it under the seat, it'll be there, it'll be there after, okay? Does that make sense? We're gonna do Jay Gray's little nod thing right here, okay? If you understand that, let's get a, yeah? Okay, all right, awesome. So, we're in the middle of this series called Disguises, um, Dylan kind of talked about this last week, but uh, Dylan and I don't really get the chance to speak up here at live very, very often. Uh, we relish the fact, or relish the chances that we get up here. Uh, Jay Gray, Jason, and John kind of get the majority of them. So when they give us the chance, we, we love it, and we kind of freak out a little bit. And not only did they give us the chance to speak at live, but they gave us two weeks in a row and not only did they give us two weeks in a row, but they literally told us we could talk about anything. I'm surprised they trusted us that much. That's faith right there, that's faith. So Dylan and I look at each other sheepishly during that meeting, we're like, all right, let's see what we got here. Okay, we go back to my desk and I've got stuff stored in my computer from years that I've been waiting to talk on. And the first thing that catches our eye is a series that has a giant mustache on it. That is what started the whole discussion of this series, is that there was a giant mustache, and Dylan and I both have facial hair, and none of our other staff members do, including the women. They don't grow up for some reason. I'm not sure why. But like, nobody has it except Dylan and I, and it's become like a defining characteristic. Dylan has that massive beard that I'm jealous of, and I'm constantly trying to shave mine into a mustache, and Jay Gray keeps trying to chase me out of here. Like, past three years at Easter, I've shaved my beard into a mustache, and it really makes Jay Gray mad. But that's kind of what we went with. We're like, okay. And so, so we start diving into this series and kind of what it's about. And we start seeing how it's about identity and how a lot of times in life we get caught up in our disguises and our kind of superficial things that we try to put up in front, in front of people. And Dylan and I, when we looked back at our childhood, when we looked back at our youth, we, we noticed that we really struggled with that. And that was something that hit us when we were about y'all's age. So Dylan starts talking about Jacob and Esau. Okay, you have Jacob who's the younger brother who's not girly, but he doesn't have a lot of hair on him, which is Dylan and I despise. And so he's more feminine, he stays inside the house, he's a mama's boy, and then you have Esau, this big burly man with hair all over the place and loves to hunt, loves to fish, loves to be outside, and he's the daddy's boy. And Isaac loves this guy to death. But the issue that you run into with Esau is because he was the older brother, he gets the birthright, which means he gets two-thirds of the entire inheritance, more if Isaac wants to give it to him. So he gets everything when Isaac dies. And then, not only that, but back in that culture, back in the day, the older son got something called a blessing. And this blessing was, it was kind of a superstitious thing where the father would bless the older son and give him success and all these things. And the younger son did not get that. So Jacob looks at his older brother and he wants everything that Esau has. 
He's not the manly one. He's not the favorite one. He's not the one that's going to get all the inheritance. He's not the one that's going to get the blessing. So he sits there and he starts stewing about it, starts getting jealous. And he starts trying to change his identity so that he can steal the identity of his brother. And this causes all kinds of drama. And Dylan kind of went into that, how Jacob put all the hair on, he put the disguise on, and he lied to his father. But one thing Dylan didn't hit on towards the end of his message that he, like Dylan could have been here for three weeks if he wanted to be. But one of the things he didn't hit was what happened after that lie happened. Imagine if you're Esau. You get your birthright taken. You get your blessing taken. You'd be ticked. And Esau was not a very nice guy, so he decides he's going to kill his brother. Jacob takes off and has to spend the next 20, 30 years in another country because he's terrified to come home. So Jacob's lie didn't just cost him a family relationship. It cost him his home. It cost him his sense of belonging. It stole his identity that he had had his entire life, and he got lost, and he starts running from God. At one point, he even wrestles with God, like, and he messes his hip up. It's, there's a hip-hop line about it. Don't worry about it. But it leads him further and further away from who he was originally meant to be. And the cool thing about the Bible is it's very similar to history. Um, if you look at history, people make mistakes in the past. People don't study their history. And then they repeat the same mistakes a couple years later. The same thing happens in the Bible. You see people repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. You see two, two people repeating the same mistakes that Esau and Jacob did 100 years later. It's Adam and Eve. And a lot of you have heard this story before. If you've grown up in church, you know the story of Adam and Eve. God creates the entire world, separates the heavens from the earth, separates the water from the land. He creates all the birds, the fish, all these different things. And when he gets to day six, he's created everything, but he's, he's still not done. And he gets down on his hands and knees. He gets down in the dirt, literally gets his hands dirty. And he makes the first man. This, uh, this hadn't happened with any of the other creation. He actually uses his hands. And Genesis 1.26 says that he created man in his own image. It says, let us make man in our own image. We were personally meant to have a relationship with God, to be able to commune with God, to spend time with God, to be able to walk side by side with God. And he gives us a job because he knows that he can trust us. He knows that he can believe in us and we get responsibilities. He literally puts Adam in charge of the whole world. And then not only that, he sees that God, uh, man is not meant to be alone. So he creates a woman, a partner to come alongside him so that together they can go through life pushing towards God, learning more about him, becoming more like him and loving him. But most of us know that's not how the story ended. In Genesis 3.1, you kind of see everything get turned upside down and put on its head. And it says that, in verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, when it's talking here about a serpent, it's not talking about any ordinary snake. Satan, our enemy, our opposition, had kind of disguised himself to be a talking snake. Now, how many of y'all would freak out if you saw a talking snake? I would. I definitely would, but for some reason, Adam and Eve didn't get freaked out, so they're walking through the garden, and they see this talking snake, and the snake says to Eve, he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So he asks a question. He takes God's words and twists them. What God had told Adam and Eve is you can eat from any tree in this garden except one. 
So Satan starts his tempting by taking it and flipping it. He's like, did God really say you can't eat any fruit at all? What's the answer to that? No. So Eve tells him no. He's like, no, 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 no. And the woman said to the serpent, we can eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree, uh, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden, or you'll surely die. You can't touch it or you'll die. And this is where everything gets twisted. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So he looks at this fruit and he gives it a different purpose. Instead of being to feed you and to nourish you, he's saying that if you eat this fruit, you're going to know good from evil. You're going to be wise like God. And Eve and eventually Adam, they look at this fruit and they're like, oh, that's going to make me like God. Let's go ahead and eat it. So Eve looks at this thing. She says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her. Now, sidetrack here. I I talk about this in Jehi all the time. But Adam was standing there the whole time. Like, he's there, and she's talking to a snake, and he doesn't say anything. What kind of husband is that? Not only that, look at this. Did you see Adam say anything when she picks the fruit? She's like, oh, I'm going to pick it. And he's just sitting there like, okay, is she going to die? I guess I got in an argument that day. I don't know. He's like, is she going to die? Oh, she didn't die. That means I can eat it. And they grab it. So they eat it, and instantly something happens. Okay, she gives it to her husband, he, he's with her, he ate it as well. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Now, they're naked, okay, let's get over that fact, okay, it's funny. But it wasn't the nudity, the nakedness that freaked them out. It's when they looked at each other, they felt shame. For the first time in human history, there was shame, there was guilt. They knew that they had done something wrong, and they look at each other, and they can't stand the sight of each other. So they hide each other. They go, and they make clothes made out of fig leaves, and it says that they ran off into the forest to hide, and they're hiding from God. They ran, just like Jacob had run and hid from the face of God. And as I look through this story, it kind of reminds me of high school a bit. Um, I grew up, when I was in elementary school, I got picked on a lot. I didn't like that very much. Nobody really does. So when I hit middle school, I wanted to kind of change my personality, and I decided I was going to try some different things, okay? I was pretty athletic, so I hopped into sports. Um, Seventh grade, I was golf and soccer and then uh, football and baseball my eighth grade year, and then three sports all the way through high school. And sure, I like sports. I love sports. It's my favorite form of exercise. I don't exercise very often anymore, as you can tell, but like I love sports. But one of the main reasons I wanted to be an athlete wasn't for the sake of playing sports. It was because the athletes got to wear their jerseys inside the school. On game day, we would wear our jerseys and everybody would look and be like, oh, that guy's on that team. He's an athlete. You kind of look up to it. I was also in honors classes. And I liked being on honors classes, not because of the work. I hated doing the work. I hardly ever did it. But when they saw me in those honors classes, that Spencer's smart. So he's an athlete and he's smart. 
I was really wanting to get class clown. Lost to one of my friends, darn it. But I wanted those accolades. Not only that, I wanted to be a leader in my youth ministry. Not because I truly loved Jesus at that point, but because I was a leader in the youth ministry and other kids looked up to me. And I sought after all these things. And as I ran after these things and put them number one in my life, I started crafting a disguise. I started putting a, a facade on and started making up a new Spencer for people to see and a new Spencer for people to look at and spend time with. And the more that Spencer started to get well-liked, the more people would try to pull me in certain directions, trying to make me do certain things. And I would need to keep up the facade, so I would keep doing those things. And then, I just remember in high school, I'd go to school, I'd go to church, and I'm living these two double lives, I'm completely disguised, and then I'd get home, and I was miserable. I was exhausted from having to live those two lives, and there was shame there. When I went to church, I constantly felt guilty. I remember praying the, the little prayer at church over and over and over again every time the pastor would repeat it because I was hoping that God would do something and magically change me into something different. And it just, it never worked. And my mask kept getting more elaborate and more different and more changing. And I became less and less of who I was and I ran further and further and further from God. But if you look at this story, that's not where it ends. It says in verse 10 that uh, God, as the people were hiding in the garden, um, actually verse 9, it says, but the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Where are you? God was looking. He's walking through the garden, and he said, I heard the sound of you. Adam said this. I, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God says back to him, he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Because here's the thing. God did not see Adam and Eve as their sin. He did not define them by a mistake that they had. He saw them as his creation because remember, they were made in the image of God. Even though they'd screwed up, God still loved them. And as this story continues on, like Adam just straight up throws Eve under the bus. Like he's like, what, did you do this? And he's like, well, the woman you gave me uh, told me to eat this and I ate it. And then Eve's like, or God looks at Eve and it's like, what'd you do? He's like, well, the serpent that you made. And so they're blaming it on God the whole thing, and you can just, you can hear the wheels thumping as everybody's rolling under the bus, and God has to discipline his children, but God looks at them. He gets a couple animals, and for the first time in biblical history, there's an animal sacrifice. God sacrifices animals to atone for the sin of Adam and Eve because he cared for them. He took the skin off of those animals and he made them clothes instead of leaves that are just going to go. He makes them actual clothes to keep them warm. And he promises that one day there's going to be somebody that's going to come to fix this sin problem between them and God. There's going to be somebody to come and fill that God-sized hole in their lives. And Adam and Eve believed that. But I don't think they knew truly who that was going to be. Because God is the one that ended up coming. He wrapped himself in a body, lived a life that Adam and Eve and every single person in this room is supposed to live, lived that life for us, died the death that we deserved. 
He didn't just stay dead, he rose. Three days later, he rises from the grave, conquering the death that was supposed to hold him, and that was supposed to hold us, proving that if we put our faith in him, that that hole in our lives can be fixed, that those disguises that we're holding on to so tightly can be thrown away. And I remember coming to that moment. I was a senior in high school. I got home, had a horrible day, was exhausted, getting a huge fight with my parents. I go into my bedroom and through a, a series of events, God kind of led me to a passage of scripture, Psalm 52, if you want to look it up later. And on the cover of my Bible, or the, the heading of that chapter in my Bible, it said, God judges the proud, which is scary in that moment when you're trying to see what God is telling you. And it says, God judges the proud. That kind of points the finger right back at you. And I start reading this, and I see this prideful man that puts stock in his riches and his successes and all the things of the world that he had. And then I see the person that truly loved God, and I saw that for the first time in my life, I was this person. I'd never noticed it before. And everything clicked. Everything clicked. So I get down on my knees, and I don't cry too often, but I cried that night. And I gave him everything. I gave him all the sin that I kept trying to hide. All the sin that I kept putting behind me, trying to keep my parents from seeing, my friends from seeing, my pastors from seeing. And I gave the good things I did, the bad things I did, and I just said, God, they're yours. Take them from me. Take my mask. Take my disguise. And make me into the person that you would have me be. Save me. And when I did that, that didn't just change me instantaneous. I still messed up. I'm still not perfect. I still fall short every single day. I screw up every single day. But here's the difference. When I see temptation, when I see people pulling at me, I run. And when I do fall into that temptation, I own it. And so often, those two things are the things that trap us. When we've got this mask on, we feel like we have to go the way that the world is pulling us. When we, we feel like we have to fall into the traps that they're setting for us, you can run. And when we mess up, we feel so ashamed of it that we have to hide that sin, that we have to hide those mistakes. But God's already paid for it. God's already taken that sin. He's died for it. He doesn't care about that anymore. He wants that relationship with you. He'll take it from you. When I mess up, I, I try to be the first one to own up to it. Even here at work, if I drop the ball on something, typically I try to be the one that brings it up. Because if I bring up where I've fallen short, if I bring up where I've messed up, it means one, that I'm taking that mask off and I'm allowing God to change me into the person he wants me to be. I'm allowing him to continue to use me, to sharpen me, and that I'm trying to get better. And as I look at you guys and I, th I think about you guys, there's a lot of y'all that are in the same boat that I was in. You've got a mask on. You've got a disguise on. When you come into this room, you're, you're hiding who you truly are and you're trying to be perfect. You're trying to be the person that doesn't make mistakes. You're trying to keep all those mistakes in the darkness. You're trying to keep all of your, your shortcomings in the dark. And you're trying to live up to expectations that are just 
so hard to live up to. You're trying to be the greatest athlete in the world. You're trying to be the greatest student in the world. You're trying to be the rock star that's better than everybody else. And you keep making that disguise bigger and bigger and bigger. And it makes that expectation just weigh down on you and weigh down on you. And every day you feel like there's a thousand pounds on your back because you're having to live up to these expectations. God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that weight constantly bearing down on you. He came to this earth, lived that life that we were supposed to live, died the death we were supposed to die so that he could take it from us. So that he could take that sin, take the good things, take the bad things and throw them out so that you could just live with him like we were originally designed to be. You were designed to be with the creator, to love him, to know him, to spend more time with him. Because here's the thing, God doesn't try to guilt us. God isn't here to shame us. God is here to care for you. He's here to love you, to restore you back to who you were supposed to be. And as I look at the room, some of y'all have, you've got that mask on, but that's the only thing you've ever known. That's the only thing you've ever had. You never knew that you were made in the image of God. You never knew that God created you to be with Him. And some, some of you even knew that, but it just didn't make sense. And you've been lugging around all that weight for years and years and years. I want to give you guys the opportunity to, to take off that mask, to step into that relationship the way that God designed you to be. And it's, it's not hard. There's not a ritual that you have to do. There's not a giant like dance or song that you have to sing. It's as simple as talking to him. If you had a relationship with somebody that fell off, all you have to do to reclaim that relationship is to talk to them. Pick up the phone, text them, spend time with them. Our relationship with God is the exact same way. And if you've never started that relationship, it's simple. If everybody could bow your heads and close your eyes real quick, nobody looking around. If you're wanting that relationship, it's as simple as this. Now, I'll say a little prayer, and these words aren't magical. They're not going to magically transform you into, like, a falcon or anything. But they, uh, if you truly mean them in your heart, they can change your life forever. It's as simple as this. Father, I, I, I thank you so much for loving me, for caring for me, and dying for my mess-ups and my failures and my screw-ups. And I'm sorry for hiding from you and putting on this mask and being somebody that I wasn't designed to be. And God, as I, as I sit here today, I, I would just pray that you would change my heart change my mind, change my soul, and make me into the person that you intended me to be. Take away my mask and replace it with your grace, your love, and your kindness. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.